Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now with the word on Wednesday. I am Pastor Winfred Burns, and as usual, we have another exciting and engaging evening with the word of God. Uh, We've got 30 minutes-ish, and so I don't want to prolong the hour, but instead I want to dive right in and begin with the word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, we come to say thank you. First of all, we thank you that we've got some sunshine. We appreciate you watering the earth. But, Lord, we love when the sun shines. And so we thank you for that today. We thank you, O God, that once again you allow us into your word. You allow us to learn. You allow us to question. You lead and guide us, and you bless us. And we so thank you and appreciate you for your word, because your word is truth. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word, O God, it is by your word that you created the heavens and earth and called this into being. And we know that scientists will go to the Big Bang Theory, and there are some who say that there was just a random a collision of atoms, but we know that it was your word. And so, God, we study your word tonight that we might not sin against you. We study your word tonight that we might know you better. We study your word tonight that we might be in tune with your mission and the things that you would have us do on this earth. So, God, we pray your blessings upon us tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us collectively and individually concerning where we are today. Oh, God, we bless you and we praise you. And it is our desire to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Acts chapter 21, and good evening, everybody, if I didn't say good evening. You know, sometimes I get so focused on what I'm supposed to be doing that I lose my manners, but I do have them. Anyway, Acts chapter 21. Now, last week when we were in 20, um, it came to that Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem, and he was hurrying trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And he knew what he was going into. God had summoned him and told him and warned him that he was going to suffer, that he was going to be imprisoned. And in chapter 21, what we want to do is we want to show you how this develops, this continuing development. And I want to put a little caveat on this thing because, you know, in the modern-day church, especially in America, persecution is a dirty word. Good evening. 
Uh, persecution is a dirty word. Persecution, when, when you see a person that is being persecuted, um, or if you see a person that's going through a bad time, and yet they are standing for Christ, we give them the Job treatment. You remember Job, right, where Job's friends come along and they see Job suffering and, in, and, they, and they say, Job, you're suffering because you sinned. You would be blessed if you did X, Y, Z. And in the end, it turns out that Job was suffering because God had ordained his suffering. And we seem to forget that lesson in the modern-day church, that suffering and persecution is ordained by God. There is nothing that you are going through. There is nothing that you are experiencing, child of God, that is not permitted by God, and that God is ordering up. The suffering. We saw it in the last chapter. What did we see in the last chapter? It says the spirit was leading Paul into persecution. And over the next several weeks, what you are going to see is that persecution is going to position Paul to bring glory to God and it's going to cause the gospel to be furthered, the gospel to be spread. And I want to say this to the church tonight. We need to get it in our minds that in America, in America, in churches, in Christ, there will be suffering. There will be persecution. And this persecution and this suffering is ordained by God. And I know that nobody wants to hear that because we have been fed this steady diet of if you do X, you get Y. If you give money in the offering plate, then you're going to be blessed. If you, you know, you can expect a miracle from God. Well, I came to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. That, yes, God does bless. Yes, God does prosper. Yes, God will heal you. Yes, God will give you. Yes, God's will for us is that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. But that we are on a mission, and sometimes the mission causes persecution, period. You think I'm kidding? Even before I go into this, look at Luke nine. Keep your finger where you uh, keep your finger right at uh, um, at Acts chapter twenty one because I'm jumping right in as soon as I finish this. But I've got to set this up because there is a misunderstanding within the body of Christ, especially young Christians, and they think that they're doing something wrong when they go through various persecutions trials, tribulations, and temptations. No, you're not doing anything wrong. Look, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. What Paul is going to experience over the next several chapters and to the end of his life is that Paul is willing to follow this principle. He said he is going to take up his cross. He is going to deny himself, and he is going to follow after Christ. That's what you're going to see. And Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good courage. I have overcome them all. If any suffer for righteousness' sake, that's what he's doing. You see, all of, you know, we, we, are, we, are, we got this cotton candy gospel and these cotton candy ministries that, that we're participating in, and we want everything to be hunky-dory, lovey-dovey. Uh, nothing ever happens to me because I'm blessed and highly favored and walking in the anointing. And if you are blessed and highly favored and walking in the anointing, Sometimes you are going to go through persecution, period, full stop. So, now, now that we've got that straight, now we can go into chapter 21. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. So let's, let's, let's stop. Um, at Troas, or at Tirath. Okay, Paul was told, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, what's going on at Jerusalem, and, and what is the Spirit revealing? Well, you've got to remember now that Paul is trying to make it to, to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. What happens in Jerusalem at Pentecost? What happens in Jerusalem at Pentecost is Jews from everywhere, from all throughout the empire and all throughout Egypt and all throughout, from all over the land, from all over the earth, flock to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they're basically, now Paul has had all this trouble everywhere he's been, and they said, if you show up at Pentecost, is going to be some problems. We know you're going to get in some trouble there. Paul, 
Don't go. And beyond that, the Spirit of God is revealing to them what is going to happen to this apostle at Jerusalem, because there's been some stirring in Jerusalem before, and the only person that's going to be left in Jerusalem is James, because Peter and the rest of them have moved out, and they are doing evangelical work now. Let's keep going. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemas, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. This is interesting right here, because now we run up on Philip. Now, the last time we saw Philip um, was in Acts chapter 8. Remember that? Let's flip over real quick, real quick, because I want to show you, you know, now, you do know who Philip was, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember him? Philip who, and guess where he was going? I'll just read uh, the 40th verse, I think it is. Now, Philip, is, he has baptized the eunuch. The Spirit has moved him, and it says, verse 40, Acts chapter 8, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip preached the gospel down the coast until he came to Caesarea. He gets down to Caesarea. I don't know if he got married there or not or if he was already married. But Deacon Philip continues his evangelical work. He has a wife or gets a wife while he's there, and he has Four daughters, unmarried, who now are prophets. So we pick Philip back up in this story. While they were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, Agabus has shown up earlier, too, because it was Agabus who predicted the famine. So is that the, he came, to, he was... Um, he was in uh, Jerusalem, I believe it was, when the, he last prophesied, and he prophesied that there would be a famine throughout the land. And this stimulated the disciples to begin co uh, the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and Paul has been uh, collecting for this, by the way. You see it in his letters to, to the Philippians and to the Corinthians. and In his letters, he's constantly concerned about all of the saints. Remember we talked about the pastor's heart? Here is a guy with a pastor's heart. Okay, so now I'm at verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, we keep hearing this we, and this we that and, and we've been in the we narratives, and some people, you know, they like to point out that Luke is with the journey because part of Acts 
is a collection of what people told uh, Luke, what he was able to gather through uh, those who were witnesses to this. But then other parts, the we parts, is when he's actually there. So it's important that I don't, I don't spend a lot of time highlighting that, but you should know that. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Now, an important part of the scripture. Paul says to them, he says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? He says, I'm, I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. If we are not willing to suffer with him, then we shouldn't be ready to reign with him. If we are really his ambassadors and if we really believe and have taken on the name. If we've been baptized into the name of Jesus, our sole purpose, remember we learned this in baptism, then we take on his personality, we take on his mission, we take on his suffering, we represent him. And when we want to reign with him, we have to be willing to suffer with him. Does this mean that every Christian is going to suffer? Not necessarily. But every Christian who names the name of Jesus must be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Must not compromise the name must n because when we compromise the name do you know what we do we say oh we was just playing we're not really with him we're not really spirit filled you know we go back and we, we, one of the things that we're very very critical of is we're critical of peter when we remember when jesus was um about to be crucified and Peter was out in the courtyard warming himself while, while Jesus was being questioned and, and drugged from, uh, to, before Pilate. And they were beating him and smacking him and all of that stuff. Remember, and Peter denied Christ. When we fail to take up our cross, when we fail to suffer the persecution, when we fail, to stand for the name of Jesus, we deny him. That's what we're doing. We're essentially denying him. 
And what does it mean to deny him? We're saying, I don't know him. Never saw him before in my life. He ain't saved me. He didn't raise me. He didn't empower me. That's what we do. That's not right. That's not right. And Paul has given us just this wonderful example. And Paul says, you know what? Yeah, I know I'm going to suffer, and I know I'm going to prison, but not only am I willing to go to prison, I'm ready to die. You ready to die? You know the beautiful thing about it? If you were baptized, you reckoned yourself dead. You declared yourself dead in baptism because the old man went down and the new one came up. And I know some people are saying, well, you know, I would, I would like to. Let me tell you something. If you are called to suffer for Christ, if you are called to die for Christ, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do just that. I'm convinced that he will. How do you think those, the, the saints of old went into the lion's den, got burned alive? How do you think the saints of today in places like Russia and China and, and, and uh, uh, in the Muslim countries, how do you think that they are existing? They don't have the freedoms that we have. They can't openly say that I'm a Christian. If you tell somebody in China that you're a Christian, you are going to suffer immediately, up to and including death. Yes, same thing in Russia. Same thing in a lot of the Muslim countries. And so, and how do they do it? The Holy Spirit empowers them to do it. You see, I don't want you walking away scared. No, uh -uh, fear not. No, if, it, if God calls you to this, he's going to equip you by the power of his spirit to stand. Hallelujah. Now, let me, let me move to, um, to verse 17 because I want to show you. I think I'm only going to get through maybe um, the 26th verse, but that's all right because, again, we'll continue next week. But right now I want to keep going because I got, oh, I got eight minutes. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourselves also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. 
Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So what's happening here? Um, What's happening here is Paul meets with the elders, and he reviews what God has done during his missionary journeys and how God has showed favor to the Gentiles through the spread of the gospel through him. Then they bring up an, uh, an issue and they, for, that Paul is going to have. He says, look, there are thousands of Jews here who are zealous for the law, and they think that you teach that you no longer have to observe the law, and because of this, they, they say that you are ready to abandon your Jewishness and that you're teaching Jews to go against the laws of Moses. That's the situation. And then they come up with a plan. They say, to show them that you are not like this, here's what we want you to do. We want you to, to go into the temple, and we want you to publicly, to publicly show that you are a practicing Jew. That's their plan. Now, there's two things that we need to explore. One we'll be able to explore tonight. The other one we'll pick up on next week. Number one, we want to explore the law. And number two, we want to explore this vow that Paul makes and the execution of the vow. Let me deal with the law tonight. Part of the problem in the church today, part of the problem in the church today is that we don't understand the purpose of the law. We say that we are no longer under the law, and so we render the law null and void, that because of what Christ did, that the law is no longer in effect. And I'm going to tell you that you have misunderstood the purpose of the law. I'm going to say that, and I'm going to further say that the law still has a purpose in the life of a Christian. You ready for this? Okay, let me, let me start with Jesus. Okay, let me start with Jesus in uh, Matthew 5, verse 17. And I got about five, less than five minutes to do this. Matthew 5. Go, turn over real quick, as quick as you can. Verse 17. Watch this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes 
and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what are you saying? Jesus is the fulfilling of the law. Not only does he fulfill the law, but he explains how the law should work. If you continue reading uh, Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew 7, what you will see is Jesus clarifying what the law means and how it should be executed. He talks about anger, divorce, oath, retaliation. He talks about a number of subjects concerning the law and how the law was meant to be executed versus how they were executing the law. Now, when we talk about Jesus fulfilling the law, what he is fulfilling is not the law code, but the law that 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 um that to that brings you into the presence of God, meaning the sacrificial portion of the law given by Moses. But now remember, the the 10 commandments were given by God. And these Ten Commandments dealt with approaching him and how you are to treat him and also how we're to treat each other. If you're wondering why we have so, the, the, we are the murder capital and if you're wondering why we got so much stealing and lying going on, it's because we are not paying attention to the commandments of God. And the commandments are not null and void. Reread that. I want to give you a little bit more. Turn to um, uh, Galatians, um, turn to Galatians 3. Real quick, Galatians 3 and 24. Oh, I'd love to read this whole passage, but I don't have time. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, in the King James Version, it says, the law was our school teacher, our school mark. The law serves to teach us the difference between right and wrong. The law exposes sin. The purpose of the law is to expose what is acceptable and unacceptable before God. The law doesn't have power to make you do right, but the law can tell you the difference between right and wrong. Can you see that now? Can you see? See, why we say that, you know, when we say we're not under the law but we're under grace, we are under grace. But the law is what tells us and points us to our need for grace. The law tells us when we have done something wrong. Look, look at uh, Romans 7. Look at Romans 7 real quick, and then i got to quit. Romans 7. Here, let me read from 7, 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandments, produce, 
um, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What, what, what is he saying here? He says, the law let me know that I sinned. This is what I said. So what does the law do? The law, first of all, is a guide. The law is a teacher. The law brings revelation of our sin, but it can't do anything about our sin. That's where grace comes in. That's where the grace of God comes in. That's, that's where Jesus comes in. That's where faith in Christ comes in. Do you see, do you see this? And so Paul, these Jews are still under the law. They are practicing the law, but they, but they, but they, they don't understand what the purpose of the law is. And not only are they ignoring what Paul said, but they ignore what Jesus had told them previous. So i got to quit here because uh, I'm, I've ran out of time. But what I want to say to you tonight is that those of you who are under the impression that the law has been canceled, it has not been. The law serves a purpose in your life. And the first thing that I would do if I was you is I'd go back and look at them Ten Commandments. And I would go teach them Ten Commandments to my children and to my grandchildren and to everybody around and say, this is the beginning right here, right here. Love the Lord your God. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your mother and your father that your days might be long on the earth. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ox nor ass, and all the, all the rest of them. I start right there and begin practicing them. And I would begin evaluating my life and say, oh, wait a second, how am I lining up versus the commandment of God? Because this is the way to life. And in the areas where I know that I'm lying or I'm cheating and stealing and all, I put them on the cross right away. I would begin to confess. If I got to, you know, if I'm not honoring my mother and my father, I'm putting, I, look, I, I, I wasn't doing it before, but by the power of God, I'm getting rid of them now. Oh, yes, I am. God, I'm, I'm wrong here. I'm wrong here. And I would confess it as sin. That's the beginning of everything. Well, we haven't gotten to the persecution yet. But we've, we've got, made it through the setup, and we will continue with Acts chapter 21 next week. But let's have a word of prayer. And while I'm praying, if you've got a question, put it on the screen, and I'll answer it tonight. Um, if, you are on, um, if you are on the Global Drive Network and you're listening via uh, radio or the Internet, it is, you can call me. You can call me up. Four two um four two uh wait a minute no no nine two nine four seven seven two three oh four nine two nine four seven seven two three oh four. Let's pray. Eternal God our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you.
for your word. God, we thank you that you fulfilled the mosaic portion of sacrifice when you sacrificed yourself on the cross. And so we no longer have to come to you for the temporary cleansing that you made your son the ultimate atonement once and for all for us. And that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that we can have fellowship and peace with you. We thank you for that. But Lord, we also thank you for your commandments. For your word is good and your word is true. And Father, in this day and age, sometimes we forget or we think or we've been told we ain't got to bother with that anymore. We pray that you would expose that as a lie from the pit of hell and a part of the tricks of the enemy. We pray, O oh God, that we would begin to teach our children as well as ourselves what you've said and to walk upright before you and to let that law teach us right from wrong. We pray this in Jesus' name. We further pray, God, that if we are called to suffer persecution, we pray, O oh God, that like you did for Paul and saints all over the world, that you would give us your Holy Spirit that allows us to endure, that you would give us a peace that passes all understanding even as we are persecuted, even as we do go through that you would give us the strength to go through. We pray, O oh God, that you would constantly remind us that we're not going through by ourselves, that just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that there is not three but four, and the fourth one doesn't just look like the Son of God, but is the Son of God, who's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. God, how we bless you and how we praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if there's no questions, and I don't see any questions up there, and my phone's not ringing with questions, then we will call it a night, and I will be back next week as we finish Acts chapter 21, as we continue on the, 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 on the topic and show you how persecution will position you to glorify God. Bless you, and have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Bye-bye.